This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Today's innovations are tomorrow's possibilities. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Valchunas. Eric, there's some interesting stuff happening um, in money market funds right now. And the flows are something that I really want to spend some time talking with you about because, man... It is just eye-opening what's happening here. Yeah, I mean, money market funds have uh, grown by well over half a trillion dollars in the first quarter. March in particular was ridiculous. Listen to this stat, Joel. If you ranked all mutual funds by March flows, the top 28 would be money market funds and 73 out of the top 100. Um, This is a stat that James Seyfried on my team found. And again, think about this. This is basically what ETFs took in all of last year. So this is big boy flows, and it's basically diverted. We're a bunch of ETF analysts, but we've been completely diverted over there because this is a big deal. And obviously, um, the reason is because you can get 4.7, 4 4.8% with basically risk-free when obviously contrasted with a lot of banks will only give you 50, 60 basis points in your savings or checking account. So that spread has become the story of the year, in my opinion. It does link to the whole bank story. Um, And I do think uh, banks are now going to have to probably raise their rates at some point. Um, And also, the the appeal of a 4.8% yield in a money market fund has actually taken away a lot of money from equity flows because there now is like an alternative. And so this has become, again, uh, it's not just money markets, impacted everything. And it's, um, again, it's diverted all of our attention. And to be clear here, money market funds, we're talking about cash, right? Like something that is like so basic and boring, right? But yet cash has become king? Yeah. Sometimes cash is the sexy thing or the shiny object because other things are struggling. But what made Q1 interesting to me is that equities were up 7%. You know, unlike last year, they were down. They were up this year. But the idea, I think equities now have to work much harder to get your money. So if they have another good quarter, I could see maybe some money shifting out. But again, almost a 5% yield, guaranteed banked, the NAV stays at $1. That's really compelling. And what we also found was how lucrative this is for uh, the asset managers. Unlike other areas, the Vanguard effect isn't big here. A lot of these money funds charge 35, 40 basis points, um, and they took in a ton of money. Um, Vanguard does have one, uh, but it's sort of an interesting... Um, area where the Vanguard effect is not really in play as much. And we explored that too. So there's just so many interesting angles to this story. Also, Eric, I am not going to be here for the rest of the episode because I have to go to my brother's wedding in Central Oregon. 
Yeah, what are you running out to catch a flight right now? Uh, not quite yet, <laughs> but it's it's going to happen soon. Um, so nice. you're going to have some guests on, and you're going to do all this by yourself. You're a big it, boy. I'm sure you can figure it out. Uh, yeah, I'll miss you, but I'll be okay. Is this your older or younger brother? Four years younger. First time getting married. He's wow. Stoked. Wow. Bend, Bend, Oregon. And what happens there? I'm picturing like stagecoaches for some reason. No, no. <laughs> Oregon Trail. You, you, played, you played Oregon Trail. Yeah. Uh, it's or- the high desert, man. It, it, the air smells like juniper. The golf is great. When the weather's a little bit nicer, uh, you'd you know, be river rafting or something. It, it's a super, it's like an outdoor paradise. It's, a, it's truly a special place. This time on Trillions, cash is king. All right, so today here we have Katie Greifeld from Bloomberg News, Mike Regan from Bloomberg News, and Nafis Smith, Principal and Head of Taxable Money Markets at Vanguard. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. It's good to be with you this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric. I'm thrilled to be here. So, Mike, let's start with you. You have a, There's a Business Week cover. You wrote the cover story. Our team was passing it around. We thought it was great. The cover has the number four. And it's like jacked. It's got like a six pack. It's real strong. <laughs> and it speaks to the 4% plus yields on money funds as if all of a sudden something that is usually boring is really interesting. And so just talk about your article and, and what you, um, some of the conclusions you came to. Yeah, this, uh, this was one of those Joel ideas where I think he and his friends probably having the same conversation that me and my friends and everyone's having now these days is that wait a minute, all of a sudden you can get a nice little yield in something as simple as a money market fund or as my story focused on just regular old bank savings accounts. You know, Remember a couple of years ago, you, you basically needed to buy junk bonds to get 4% yield. And now you can get them in, in something as theoretically as safe as a bank savings account. But what's I find very fascinating is that yield in this point in time is high enough that people it raises eyebrows and they're like they're almost looking at it like a risky asset and I'm like no this is a bank savings account this is what banks are supposed to do but we've been trained to not expect yield from these vehicles whether it be you know a, a simple savings account or a money market mutual fund from that ultra long era of 0% interest rates so one really fascinating thing that I, I noticed in uh, the reporting of the story is that last year, uh, deposits at U.S. banks actually fell for the first time since like the 1940s. You know, they just tend to steadily go up year after year. Last year, they fell. I think, you know, there's a few different explanations given. One is every, you know, companies and regular consumers, uh, mom and pop types had built up a pretty big savings during the pandemic. So they're starting to draw that down. But the other issue for banks, obviously, is these these yields on money market funds. Um, so there is quite an interesting competition among banks. The ones that have the wherewithal to to raise their rates are raising them. Not all are. You know, your, your basic Chase savings account is still at 0.01%. But all of a sudden, these younger, newer banks come out four, four and a half. I, I found one above 5%. Right as I turned the story in for edit, Apple and Goldman came out with their high yield savings account above 4%. So it's just amazing how dramatically the opportunity set has shifted for investors. You know, even just parking your money in the bank can earn you a decent yield these days. And before we get to Nafis on how money markets work and what it's like to run one, Katie, real quick, 
you and I have been covering this on the ETF angle. So there's been a flood of money into treasury ETFs Mm -hmm. almost before the money market thing happened. So just talk a little bit about the dynamics with cash-like ETFs. It's been really interesting. I mean, I feel like for the past year, we've been talking about all the billions of dollars going into ultra-short duration ETFs. The more interesting thing is that for really all of 2023, it's been the money market funds, the traditional old school mutual money market funds that have been getting the bulk of these inflows versus the ultra short duration ETFs that you and I speak about all the time. But I mean, overall, what really catches my attention is that cash and money market funds and these ultra short duration ETFs for so long and for good reason, sort of the reputation was this is a place to park your money. This is haven safety seeking behavior. But that's not the case now. Now people, this is a yield hunt. Cash is trash, as they used to say. (laughs) Yeah, this is a trade. It's a tactical trade. And so, uh, Nafis, you've seen your world um, get a lot of flows in the past, like in March 2020. But again, as Katie said, that's normally a fear play. Now they're yielding something. I guess talk a little bit about what it's been like, this, you know, hundreds of billions coming into money market funds from your point of view. Um, Does it change any way you invest? Are you holding the same things you did before? Uh, Give us some insight into that. Uh, Sure. Thank you again for uh, the opportunity to speak with you all today. Um, But as as noted, over the past month, we've seen uh, tremendous uh, inflows into money market funds. So as an industry, we're up uh, about $375 billion since March 9th. Um, In terms of, you know, the way we're investing, uh, the industry as a whole continues to maintain relatively short uh, weighted average uh, maturities. When you consider uh, how quickly interest rates have increased uh, since the beginning of uh, 2022, uh, the Fed's been on this journey to combat inflation, uh, which has been at a 40-year high. Uh, you have to go back, really, to like the 80s or 90s to uh, to find as fast of a rate of change in short terms, uh, short-term interest rates. Uh, so as a result, there's been this uh, enormous incentive to keep money market funds uh, relatively short in terms of uh, interest rate risk, uh, um, and, I, and I think that is true uh, across the industry. In terms of you know what we've been buying, uh, if you look across the, the industry and money market portfolios, uh, you'll see some treasury securities, you'll see repo or repurchase agreements uh, collateralized uh, by treasury securities. Uh, typically, uh, you'll see a, a heavy dose of uh, U.S. agency securities. Uh, this is primarily uh, the federal home loan banking uh, system it's the big issuer uh, in our marketplace and prime products which are you know a, a little bit uh, riskier than say a government fund or treasury fund you'll see some short-term credit uh, like commercial paper or cds the opportunity set hasn't necessarily uh, evolved um, throughout this recent time period you, you given uh, rule 287 so rule 287 is the the regulatory the sec regulatory framework uh, that all money funds uh, abide abide by um, and those rules are pretty prescriptive in terms of what a money fund can and cannot do. Uh, so you haven't really seen the opportunities that uh, evolve uh, over this uh, recent period. And Nafis, it's great to have you. And I think it really speaks to this unique situation that we're in, that we're talking about mutual funds on what is an ETF podcast. And I feel like this whole episode has really sort of brought into the light the differences between these structures that, okay, Eric and I have been talking about ultra short duration ETFs, but that's different from a money market mutual fund. I'm hoping that you can just walk us through some of the key differences. And when we talk about money market funds, what we're actually talking about. 
Sure. A money market fund is a it's, it's a type of mutual fund that generally seeks to preserve an investor's principal and pay some level of income. Therefore, when we think about money funds, uh, we typically think of them as having lower risk compared to uh, like a fixed income ETF or fund uh, or an equity mutual fund. Uh, money market funds, as I mentioned, typically invest in high quality uh, short term debt securities that pay income that reflect uh, prevailing interest rates in the in the marketplace. Uh, so money market fund rates typically will be more responsive to changes in monetary policy than say uh, like a bank deposit rate. In the U.S., as I mentioned, you know money market funds are governed by uh, Rule 27 under the Investment Company Act of 1940. Um, Rule 27 dictates um, limits on many different things that money market funds can engage in. Uh, they put a limit on how much interest rate risk one can take, how to define liquidity, how much liquidity a money market fund can hold, um, and there's a whole host of duties uh, that are that are listed in Rule 287 that a, a money a money market fund manager must comply with. These rules have evolved over recent history to make the industry, you know, much more transparent, uh, much more resilient, um, which is one of the reasons why money market funds are so popular, particularly when the market is experiencing turmoil like it did back in, in March of this year or back during the, the pandemic. Uh, you know, uh, Nafis, as you point out, people turn to money market funds to, to preserve capital often in, in times of stress in other parts of the market. And their reputation is pretty spotless as far as safety. You know, the, the only sort of example I can think of is the reserve fund back in the financial crisis that, you know, quote unquote, broke the buck, meaning the share price actually dipped slightly below $1. I think it was like 99 point whatever. Uh, so regardless of you know a bank account having FDIC insurance, uh, a money market fund uh, doesn't, but still comes with it that reputation for being more or less riskless. But the one thing I'm wondering is, how are you thinking about this debt ceiling issue as it approaches? Is that sort of the one risk that could threaten a, a, a money market fund? So I, I think that uh, the debt ceiling is obviously something that we, we pay attention to. It's something that um, is uh, on the, the minds of a lot of market uh, participants. Ultimately, our base case is that this gets resolved and the market will, will move past it. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Let's go over that dollar, Nav. Why is that so important? Because especially if this isn't the money going into money market funds now isn't for safety, 
where you'd be like, I need that dollar nav. I just have to sleep at night. It's a yield play. So why is the dollar nav so important? Because when you look at the flows in the first quarter, as you said, there were hundreds of billions going into money market mutual funds versus, say, $40 billion into treasury ETFs. Many of the treasury ETFs, I got to say, are cheaper. I mean, yours are com- comparable, but most money market funds are, are more expensive. We'll get to that in a minute. But w- why? And also with the ETF, you get intraday liquidity and arguably better tax efficiency. Is the dollar, the stable dollar, really that big of a deal when it's just a trade to get yield? So it depends on your objective, right? Are you, ap- are you after capital preservation or are you after a higher return that comes typically with additional risk, right? Like duration risk or, or credit risk. The stable NAV is important, right? Even with short-term debt securities, right? There's interest rate risk and the potential to see your market value drop in the event of unexpected uh, increase in short-term interest rates. Given that we remain in this heightened inflationary environment and seem to be you know, far from the all clear from the Fed in terms of getting inflation back down to the Fed's 2% target, there's a lot of value in the capital stability of a money market fund. Um, this is particularly true for investors uh, who may not uh, have uh, the clarity, uh, if you will, as to when they'll need the cash that they have on hand. And you don't necessarily want to be stuck with cash on hand in a floating NAV uh, product right after short-term interest rates have gone up. That said, for investors who are willing to stomach the chance of some capital uh, depreciation or appreciation, there's plenty of ultra-short and fixed-income options that offer a bit more yield and potential for, for uh, capital growth. Uh, for example, we've seen investors uh, gravitate toward our uh, ultra-short-term bond ETF, uh, VUSB, which currently yields roughly 20 basis points more than our, our treasury money market portfolio, um, but it's an actively managed uh, fund, right? And that fund seeks to to outperform its benchmark, whereas a money market fund, um, money market funds is designed for, for capital preservation. So I think it, it ultimately depends on what are your objectives. And one thing I looked at when I dissected the money market mutual fund flows, and it was a little bit of surprise to me, was that the quote Vanguard effect, as I call it, um, really the, the physics don't work there. When you look at cash like ETFs or treasury ETFs, all the money goes to the cheapest products. Like it's basically the asset weighted fee is probably like seven to 10 basis points. When you look at the money market mutual fund space, and I know you probably love this question because you guys are almost alone in your cheapness. You have, I think yours is nine basis points. But the one that took in the most money was Fidelity, which is 42 basis points. JP Morgan and Goldman. um, Again, this isn't really expensive, but when you have ETFs and your fund that's below 10 bips, it just seems like the physics don't work the same here. Why are those money market funds able to sort of still command that fee and largely be immune from from the Vanguard effect? There's probably a few uh, reasons for this. Um, one may simply be the fact that many investors don't think of cash as a, as a traditional investment and therefore aren't applying the necessary or the same uh, cost focus uh, on that part of their portfolios as they would you know, bond fund or, or, or an equity fund. In addition, uh, for much of the last, say, uh, 15 years, and I think this point was made during uh, the, the opening, money market funds uh, have earned, you know, close to, to nothing, right, or have had their, their fees waived. We're all of a sudden now in an environment where that, that is not the case. Um, so might require some additional focus by investors on uh, the fact that yields are higher and, and costs are, are lower um, at, a place, at a place like Vanguard. So only in the last 12 months or so has Vanguard's cost advantage really become apparent to investors uh, once again. So assuming cash returns stay positive for some duration of time, 
we do hope that investors will allocate to, to lower, quali- lower cost, higher quality solutions over time. I want to talk a little bit about Mike was speaking about at the beginning that you've had this impulse for people to take money out of banks, deposits to leave banks and go into the likes of money market funds, which to your point, it's a place you go where if you want to preserve capital. But we've talked a little bit about the difference between ETFs and money market funds. Maybe you can talk a little bit about whether people should be treating money market funds like they're a bank. So I think there's a strong argument to be made if you're talking about uh, a specific type of money market fund. And I'm thinking of U.S. Treasury funds or government funds. So Treasury funds will typically invest, you know, at least 99.5% of their assets in Treasury securities, right, or repo collateralized by Treasuries. You know, government funds uh, will invest at least 99.5% in Treasuries, U.S. agency debt, you know, repo collateralized by Treasuries. I think when you're talking about those types of instruments, there's a, a strong argument uh, that the, the risk profile of those products uh, is very similar to a bank deposit. You think about, you know, for a treasury, right, it, it's backed by the, the full faith and credit, right, of the United States. Um, so I think that making the argument that the, the risk profile of certain types of products uh, is similar to a bank deposit, I think you, could, you can make that argument. And Nafis, I'm wondering, so often when you see a, a deluge of inflows into money market funds, at least back in the, the low interest rate environment, um, a lot of people took that as sort of a bullish sign for the stock market uh, and, and other risky assets in that there was a lot of dry powder sitting on the sidelines. If there was a correction in the stock market, maybe that would all come back. I wonder if this time is different in, in your mind, you know, with with people actually parking it there, uh, in many cases, for the yield rather than the safety. Are those flows a little bit more sticky this time compared to, say, the previous 10 years after the financial crisis when it really was just a capital preservation play? Yeah, I think it depends on how things uh, evolve here uh, in the short term. And when you think about what's on the horizon, many uh, economists are forecasting for you know, mild recession. Uh, at some point this year, possibly into early next year, you know, when that's on the horizon, that creates an incentive, right, to to stay short, to kind of focus on uh, capital preservation. So I would say that I would expect uh, money market fund assets to generally be be sticky here in the short term, and then really it just depends on uh, how the economic environment evolves over the next six to twelve months. So. Besides people who are short the market, you must be one of the rare people actually rooting for Fed hikes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the Fed should do whatever they think is uh, in the best interest of uh, economic conditions. All right. Your, your PR guy signed off on that one. Uh, well done. Um, interestingly, so I researched uh, Bogle uh, in, intensely for a book I wrote recently. And one of the things – I didn't really cover this in my book too much. But when I read his book, Character Counts, he gives speeches – um, it's all his speeches over the years. In like 82, 83, Vanguard's like has no money basically. They're very small. But their money market funds start to become an early hit for them. And he says, I quote, the banks want their money back. Hmm. They don't like it. And so that's when banks started launching mutual funds. Vanguard was about to steal like a lot more money, but they obviously got smart and came out with those themselves. So I guess in that whole reputation or uh, I guess history of challenging the banks for their money, as Mike's question just alluded to. Do you think the pressure's on them to raise their rates? What do you think those internal conversations are like? Because 
you have the interest income, which is great revenue. You raise rates, you're going to lose, you're going to cut into that, but you have to also balance it with losing money to money market funds. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a great question, and you know, unfortunately, I'm not a I'm not a bank uh, CFO or, or or treasurer, right? So I can't, um, you know, speculate as to why a bank may or may not, you know, uh, increase their their deposit rates, right? But at the end of the day, in my mind, it comes back to what is best for investors. When I look at our money market fund lineup, uh, which is uh, a government money market fund lined up. These are extremely safe, extreme, extremely stable uh, products uh, that pay a very, very competitive uh, rate of interest. And so uh, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to is that investors should, to the extent that they, they have cash balances, make sure that that cash is working for them, make sure that, that the costs that they're paying are, are reasonable. And if they're not, they should seek out uh, a low-cost uh, option uh, like a Vanguard money market fund. I got to say, I mean, I think I would rather be in your shoes, Nafis, than being a bank treasurer, just uh, <laughs> putting that out there. But to your point that you're not a bank, something that the uh, the bank executives talk about a lot in which we heard on the latest round of earnings calls is that deposits tend to be sticky. And when you think about just this incredible amount of money that's come into these funds, how sticky would you expect that to be when, you know, maybe we start to get into some of the environment that Mike has talked about that, uh, you know, maybe equities start competing again, or maybe the Fed finally does cut rates. Do you expect these newfound uh, inflows to stick around, I guess? So speaking from my experience, I would expect the the cash to, to be to be sticky. You know, here at Vanguard, one of our philosophies, right, is is being disciplined, right, with respect to uh, your goals, right, in your your asset allocation. Um, you know, it, typically, uh, our investors will you know will hold on to their accounts for uh, a, a long period of time. So it'd be my expectation, uh, given that our flows tend to be more retail oriented, that the cash would be uh, relatively sticky. Here in the in the short to medium term, I wouldn't expect to see uh, a massive uh, outflow cycle. Well, I'm thinking about sort of my own accounts, the 529 accounts I have, and you're only allowed to rebalance them a couple times a year. So that that, that helps to some degree, I imagine, if uh, you have a, a bit of a captive audience there. But I'm also wondering, uh, Nafis, to the extent that you are seeing these inflows, do you have any sort of insight or, or color on where they're coming from, how how they're arriving there? Is, do you, are there RIAs out there who are really advising clients to go to cash at this point? Or are, is it self-directed accounts, do you think, that are just noticing these yields uh, on their own? Any insight on, on you know, what is creating these flows? Uh, it, it's a great question. And to, to be honest, I don't have uh, great insight. Um, you know, our Investor, we we have you know thirty million investors here here at Vanguard, and um, you know ultimately my job is to to manage the the cash consistent you know with with the mandate. Yeah, I did make a comment that you know our investor base tends to be somewhat uh, more retail oriented, um, but in terms of you know the the specific uh, channels through which that cash is coming, unfortunately, it's not not something that uh, I have a lot of insight into. Probably a little all the above to some degree, I would imagine, too. Uh, that, that would be my guess. Yeah, and I think broadly, I think institutions, um, especially when you see money market funds grow like by $600 billion in a quarter, I feel like there has to be some big fish in there. I don't know if retail is yeah. capable of that level of movement. 
This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. I have a question from someone on my team um, who asks about the currency market moves. Given that the euro and the pound are up 3% versus the dollar, does the currency market impact anything you do? Um, we do see some impact. I'm not, a, I'm not an FX expert, candidly, um, but you, 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 do see, you do see some impact uh, insofar as uh, if the cost of, of dollar funding uh, changes, you'll see this where banks will alter uh, their mix of, of issuance, right? They might uh, tap the U.S. markets when it's more favorable. They might tap other markets uh, if, uh, if FX changes. Uh, but from our perspective, you know, these are obviously U.S. money market funds that I look after. So, yeah, it's difficult to comment on uh, changes in, in individual interest rates and uh, how, how that impacts us. So uh, talk to us a little bit, uh, Nafis, about what the team looks like managing this fund for, for just nine basis points. I'm, I'm picturing a pretty, pretty small, nimble team. Just, it's just you, right? I got to think, right? <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you're not getting paid that much. <laughs> so we're, 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 a team of, uh, we're a team of six. Um, there's two, two portfolio managers and four traders. Most of us are based here in, in Malvern. Uh, we have a few traders uh, in our Scottsdale office. But we're we're one team of six uh, across you know spread across the country that's you know simultaneously looking after you know one book of a business for for Vanguard. Those are just the folks who are you know who have hands on uh, the, the the assets who are actually trading the assets. There's a a, a bigger team that supports us. Uh, we we have a, a pretty robust uh, credit research capability. That's a global capability where we have a team of analysts and. Uh, research associates that are helping us do uh, due diligence on issuers that we invest in. Uh, we uh, we have a, a, a investment strategy uh, group that helps us with economic research. So the, as we've grown and uh, as uh, we've been able to increase our scale, that allows us to you know keep costs low, right, and and have these additional resources to help us manage money market funds. So a, a basis point and a half for each of you, I guess. Is that, that's, that's a great <laughs> yeah, but when it's how much does it have in assets? Like a, a trillion dollars? It does add up. Sounds good. <laughs> I, would, I would take that. Yeah, I'll take that. But Fidelity's money market fund, just one, 
yeah. kicks out a billion a year in revenue. I, I did the numbers. Only the Capital Group American Growth Fund of America, which is the largest active managed fund in the U.S., I believe those are the only two funds that kick out a billion dollars. That was more my point. I'm, I'm surprised. Not 42 bips isn't that much, but at when you have that much money in it, it does kick out a lot of revenue. Uh, so the dollar fees are just ginormous on some of these funds. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is some degree of a captive audience, as you said, that doesn't exist in the ETF world where um, the customers are able to just move around at their will much easier. Yeah, I I mean it I when you think about just the discrepancy in flows that we've been talking about it must be some of those sorts of factors because if you just do the numbers if you lay out the math there uh it is a head scratcher. It's interesting. So we looked at all of the mutual fund companies by flows in the first quarter and believe it or not Fidelity was number 1. You know, hmm. Fidelity has seen outflows out of their active but inflows into their index funds. So they've been balancing out a lot. So typically they're not number 1. They might be on the list somewhere. Number 2 was Somebody been J.P. Morgan, UBS was on there. Vanguard was sixth, hmm. which is rare <laughs> to see Vanguard sixth. But the percentage of the flows from money market funds, Vanguard was way an anomaly. Only 42% of their flows came from money funds, whereas everybody else was above 85%. Right. So this money market fund surge has completely like created this like distortion in the normal sort of uh, leaderboard activity, um, at least for the first quarter. And I, we thought that was interesting. We dig in through the numbers. I got to say, for although when you write, uh, no offense, uh, Nafis, but when you write about money market funds, it doesn't really get the readership. Oh my! So gosh. my reads are down this quarter, unfortunately. <laughs> but this is the big story. Well, Nafis, I know it's not in the Vanguard ethos necessarily, but when you hear Eric say things like that, that Vanguard is number six, can you believe it? I mean, does that fire off any competitive juices on your part? So when looking at the flows, I guess I would encourage to maybe go a level deeper. And, you know, if you consider kind of the institutional retail uh, breakdown in the flows, you know, institutions have, you know, definitely dominated some of the flow um, activity, which I think explains some of the numbers that you you pointed out. When you look at it from a retail perspective, I would say, you know, Vanguard has captured its its fair share. So I would I would just uh, encourage you know just t- take taking a look sort of under under the hood when you're when you're looking at uh, cash flow data. Um, I mean to answer the question about about competitive uh, uh, competitive juices, uh, yeah. If, if if you will, at the end of the day, you know we we try to do uh, the right thing for all shareholders. We do have an investor base um, that tends to be very very disciplined. That tends to be uh, rather sticky, and we think that uh, that is the the best approach for managing our money market fund business. Yeah, well, I don't know if uh, does competitive juices get you disqualified <laughs> from your job application at Vanguard. <laughs> I want to win. <laughs> but uh, the feast, uh, you know, we're talking about sort of the the salad days, the glory days for money market funds right now. Not too long ago, it was the opposite story. I mean, there was a lot of talk about, boy, these funds might actually have to go to a negative yield because rates were so low. It was actually difficult to manage one of these funds uh, and still charge any basis point fee at all on, on customers. Talk to us about how difficult it was not so long ago to, to manage a, a money market fund and keep that yield positive. Um, so you, you, you made the comment about, uh, about the differences in fees. Uh, and so from that perspective, I would say it was uh, much less difficult for a place like Vanguard, uh, given that, you know, we enjoy this uh, this expense advantage. Right. Um, 
when you look more broadly across uh, across the industry, I think that this is the reason why uh, the SEC uh, will uh, soon be publishing a, a new round of, uh, of reforms in this space. Um, and one of those reforms is uh, aimed at, at money market funds uh, being able to uh, to weather uh, when interest rates do get very, very low. But when I look at the, exper- the experience that we've had over the past, say, 15 years during periods of, of, of zero interest rate policy, we really have not had that difficult of a time managing our funds. So, Nafis, we have a fun way of ending uh, the podcast, which is uh, we ask every guest, what is your favorite ETF ticker? I realize as a money market mutual fund analyst, that could be a stretch, but do you have one? Uh, my favorite ETF ticker. I'm gonna, it's going to have to be a Vanguard fund. I'll go uh, ultra short, VUSB. Nice. First person in five years to ever pick that one. So congratulations. <laughs> that, And that's not only Vanguard. We'll normally, we don't let you pick your own companies, but because you're a fund, <laughs> uh, I'll let it slide. And that was such a novel choice. So anyway, Nafis, uh, Katie, Mike, thanks for joining us on Trillions today. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. Thanks. Loved it. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weppershow. He's at Eric Balchunas. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.